My name is Kevin. If you are brand new or visiting, thank you so much for joining us. We're week 86, I think it is, with Spark. Um, so we've been doing this for almost two years. We've been in a very lengthy Genesis series, and uh, we're coming to the close. We're in the final chapters of Genesis with the Joseph story. Last week, I shared a little bit on the Judah and Tamar story, and we have been actually sharing a little bit about some controversial things, things that you might have some questions about. We skipped over, actually, some passages that can be misunderstood and have been misunderstood for a little while. So tonight, I'm going to try to abbreviate the message a little bit and want to give you an opportunity to do Q&A. We've done this before in the past. Um, however, we felt like we neglected it last week. So this week, if you uh, had a question from last week or maybe in the previous couple weeks, at the very end of the message today, we'll do some Q&A. So get ready to uh, ask some wonderful questions, and we will wrestle together. Let me pray for us um, as we get started with today's uh, teaching. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for these stories. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, I've been thinking about the scriptures and the teachings that we've been going over for a while, and one of the things that has popped into my mind that I wanted to share with you that's relevant to today's teaching is the concept of an idea or the idea of a concept. And I wasn't quite sure how to construct that phraseology. But these Bible stories that we've been reading and studying pose to each and every one of us not just moralistic principles. You look at that and say, do or do not. It's almost, uh, if, if it's taught that way, it's almost taught to you and to me and to us in popular culture as if, well, the Bible says it, that settles it. Um, there's actually a bumper sticker that says the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And there's no more thinking, there's no more engaging, it's just you do whatever you see is written down. But what I'm going to suggest to you is that the Bible's actually much more complicated than that and actually much more dynamic than that. And the scriptures give us transformational ideas. And these ideas cause us to not stop thinking. They actually cause us to think even deeper. They set up for us ideas, concepts, principles. And once you understand those concepts or those ideas or those principles illustrated through the stories, then it actually challenges you. It actually forces you to move one step further and say, well, if that is true about this world, if that is true about reality, then guess what? I have to apply that in my relationship. I have to apply that in my work. I have to apply that in my parenting. I have to apply that when I'm behind the wheel in rush hour traffic. I have to apply that when I'm in difficult and challenging situations. And so what I'm going to suggest is this Joseph story that we're coming towards the end is going to actually posit some ideas and some concepts that are illustrated through the story. And what we are going to do today is try to extract the transformational ideas that are in there that are going to set up the essentially the motif for the rest of the Bible. You will see these ideas, these concepts and principles emerge over and over and over again. And so that, to me, is what I would suggest is another way for us to think about what is this book. We don't read this book and shut off our brains. Amen. We read this book and it automatically shoots electricity through our brain and goes, wait a second, 
If that's true, then that means a whole bunch of other implications that I better consider. And how does that truth apply in these variety of situations? So let's take a look at this Joseph story very briefly. And I'm going to do my best to share with you what I think are some leadership ideas leadership principles, because Joseph ultimately is going to become a leader. But as I've mentioned before, if you've been with us, leadership is not a concept that exists just for people with titles. Leadership is a concept for all of us who influence anybody. If you are in relationship with anybody, you are a leader. You are influencing them. You're challenging them. You're rubbing up against them intellectually. You are moving and changing and shifting the way the world works just by being in that relationship. So let's take a look at some of those things. First, we're going to get started in chapter 39. We have this story of Joseph who is taken in to Egypt. He's bought by a guy by the name of Potiphar, and he is immediately noticed by Potiphar's wife, a.k.a. Mrs. Potiphar. I'm going to, by the way, encourage you, go back and read the story in full. I'm doing a quick summary. The story goes is that she saw that he was really well-built and handsome. So she wanted him and coaxed him, come to bed with me. This phraseology, by the way, is a There's all sorts of wonderful connections and references. This is the same phraseology that is actually used for his mother, Rachel. And so you start to see that there are things that are being passed along in generation. There's a trend. There's a common thread that is being pulled through. But anyway, she ends up taking his cloak in a very heated moment. Joseph, being a man of integrity, says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm out of here. How could I do this evil thing? And not very happy about this, Mrs. Potiphar screams, yells, goes to her husband and says, this Hebrew tried to take advantage of me. You better do something about this. Now, Joseph, who is trying to be upright, automatically is in a very compromising situation. The scriptures are fascinatingly silent on what Joseph says in response. Mrs. Potiphar says a whole bunch of stuff, but Joseph doesn't say anything. There is no defense. There is no argumentation. There is no trying to accuse her, even though she is trying to accuse him. The scriptures are fascinatingly silent on that. So he ends up in jail. He goes to the jail of this very high-ranking person in Egypt. Now, later on, a cupbearer and a baker of the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, the highest rank that you could get the Bible says, displeases Pharaoh. So this displeasing sends them into jail. Now, in this jail, they both have dreams. Now, we've already talked about Joseph before as being a dream interpreter, and this is going to come in handy here. The cupbearer and the baker, they have these dreams, are very distraught, and Joseph notices this. It's really fascinating that they don't go to Joseph. They don't know who he is, but Joseph takes notice of these guys. You guys are pretty upset. Why don't you tell me what's going on? The cupbearer has this dream, and the baker has this dream, and he begins to interpret. To the cupbearer, he says, this dream means that in three days on Pharaoh's birthday, you're actually going to be released and restored to your position. You will be forgiven. But to the baker, he says, this dream actually means in three days on the birthday of Pharaoh, you are actually going to be, your head is going to be lifted up, and the birds are going to eat at your flesh. And lo and behold, three days later, this is exactly what happens. And there's all sorts of, I wish we could get into all the details, 
The birds eating at the flesh is a very cultural point to the Egyptian idea. Remember, Egyptians embalm the entire body is really important. So if birds are eating at the flesh, it has a double curse meaning to it if the birds are taking away the flesh. So there's all sorts of things that are going on. Now, Joseph says to the cupbearer, listen, when you are restored, don't forget about me. I'm down here. A bad injustice has happened to me. However, as you know, or as you have heard, maybe or read in the story again, the cupbearer goes and is restored to the king, and two years later, I'm like, if I were Joseph, I'd be like, come on, throw me a bone, you know, maybe like the baker's bone or something. I don't know. <laughs> Help me out here. You, I, I gave you this interpretation, and now you've just left me down here. It's not until two years later that Pharaoh has a dream, and Pharaoh has a very disturbing dream. He doesn't have any clue what this dream is about, and none of the magicians or the people who are supposed to interpret these dreams can do it. And then the cupbearer says, uh-oh, I just remembered something. So two years ago, there was this guy, and he tells Pharaoh about Joseph. Now, what was Pharaoh's dream? Pharaoh's dream was that these skinny cows are going to come up out of the Nile and eat the fat ones, the withered stalks of grain are going to come up and take out the full stalks of grain. And this is presented to Joseph. And Joseph says, all dreams belong to God. And so why don't you share with me? And he interprets the dream. And he says, this means plenty is going to come to the land for seven years. But after that seven years, famine is going to come upon the land. And Pharaoh, hearing this interpretation of the dream, immediately puts Joseph in a position of leadership, a position of authority to take care of the people. This dream, by the way, has special significance because the Nile River is the place where life comes up out of. In fact, if you notice, if you just take a look at the geography, you see the land of Goshen, which is up here. You see the Nile River right here, and you can see that it's life-giving. There's lushness, there's growth, there's plants. You step one foot in the other direction, and it is just desert and dry. And it's really amazing to be there and to literally step in one direction. You can see this line where there's death versus life. So that in the dream... When the skinny cows come up out of the Nile, there's this special reference that the dream is making to the thing that is supposed to give you life. Out of that is coming death because of this. Well, the dream, of course, comes true. And this is a facade of a famine on Egyptian carving into the wall. You can see the bones and the skin. And this has actually happened in time. And there's a famine in the land. And as a result of this, as a result of Joseph interpreting the dream and Pharaoh hearing about this and being in partnership with Joseph, Joseph becomes second in command. And he gets to this high-ranking official part. And as we have shared with you in the slide, this is the first opening dramatic event in the land of Egypt that begins to put Joseph in a position of power, in a position of authority, in a place where he is now ready and capable of saving many lives, as we are going to get to at the eventual end. All of these things that his brothers meant were for evil, but God is somehow using everything and making it for good. Now, in this story, there's a lot of different twists and turns, and 
this story specifically, in addition to other stories, is setting up for us in a very lengthy narrative the question, or is addressing the question, what does it mean to be a leader? What are the principles that are at work? Now, in our world as well as in their world, we understand what leadership means. It means Pharaoh is king. The person who has the sword is in charge. The person who has the power, the money, or the wealth is in charge. But this story has all sorts of twists and turns in it that don't make any sense. Joseph is a victim in many accusations. He still maintains integrity in a lot of different places. And yet, through all of this, he gets bad things done to him over and over and over again, yet God is still with him. So these little contrasts and turns are setting up for us, there's some other different principle that's working in the scriptures that is illustrating what is true actually today about leadership, about influence, about how you can change the world. And what this story is going to say is that the principles that are illustrated through the life of Joseph are actually more powerful and more influential and actually exemplify true leadership, not what we traditionally think about when we think about power and control, scepters and swords and kings and kingdoms and money and power. So this story is going to say there are other things that trump the things that we think are really, really important. I kind of think of it like this. I'll tell you what, how about we go rock, paper, scissors? Ooh, I don't think so. No. Anecdotal evidence suggests that in a game of rock, paper, scissors, players familiar with each other will tie 75 to 80% of the time due to the limited number of outcomes. I suggest rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. <laughs> what? Oh, it's very simple. Look. Scissors cuts paper, paper covers rock. Rock crushes lizard. Lizard poisons Spock. Spock smashes scissors. Scissors decapitates lizard. Lizard eats paper. Paper disproves Spock. Spock vaporizes rock. And as it always has, rock crushes scissors. For those of you who are Big Bang Theory fans, I threw that in there just for you. And believe it or not, you know, there's a whole cult of Big Bang Theory, so I was actually able to find a graphic for this. Now, the famous game, Rock, Paper, Scissors, which has now become Rock, Paper, Scissors, Lizard, Spock, is a way of, of finding out which is more important. What are we going to do? How are we going to make a determination? What is the choice that we're going to make? And I'm going to suggest to you that this is actually kind of a nice illustration of what's going on in this story. There are some things that are at play, but depending upon what's at play, some cultures, the way in which we traditionally think about things, we're going to think, no, this is actually more important. This is beats this. This is more important than this. But the Joseph story is going to flip it around and say, actually, no. Leadership in this world, influence in this world, how you make a difference in somebody's life, how you change the world is actually something different. What trumps what is very, very different from what you normally think about? This was really hard for me. I summed it only into three of them. There's many more, but there's three main ones that I think are really important for us to understand. The first is this. Influence trumps authority. Influence trumps 
authority. And this is illustrated throughout this Joseph story. Here's the passage from Genesis 39, verses 2 through 5. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Now, what's important to understand is when Joseph comes into this story, what is he? He's a slave. He's trade material. He's basically a piece of property that has been bought. And yet, even Potiphar begins to recognize there's something about this young man that I don't have. He recognizes that, and he slowly moves him into position. But what is most important, what I think the scriptures are highlighting, and this is true all throughout the Joseph story, Joseph is able to influence and lead this whole segment of population, the Egyptian population, without any authority. And this is what he's going up against. He's going up against kings. He's going up against powers and rulers. He's going up against people that have built the pyramids for crying out loud. He's going up against people that have tremendous wealth and influence. You want to talk about authority. You want to talk about fist. You want to talk about how if you do me wrong, I'm crushing you. And I think the authors of the scriptures know this. And they're setting up Joseph to say, yeah, Pharaoh's got power, Potiphar's got power, they have got authority, they've got position, they've got wealth, but guess what? Joseph has influence. And slowly through the rest of this story, the entire Egyptian country is going to be influenced and changed and transformed just as a result of this person's influence. The magicians are supposed to have the title. They have the authority. They're the ones who know how to interpret dreams. And yet, and yet, it is Joseph the one who has no title. He's not even known as a dream interpreter at this point of the game. He is the one who interprets. Influence trumps authority. And we start to see this. King, you know, the king of Egypt, the hierarchy of the culture, all of these things that we see even to this day as positions of authority. I think the scriptures are saying, you know, they have influence. But what is really most important is your influence. Your influence, your ability to follow God, your ability to make a difference trumps authority. You start to see this um, a little bit in the story of when Joseph was thrown into jail. There's a contrast put up there specifically regarding the cupbearer and the baker. What did the cupbearer and the baker do to Pharaoh in order to be thrown into jail? The scriptures say they just simply displeased Pharaoh. The punishment of jail is for somebody who displeases. But what's Joseph being accused of? He's being accused of attempted rape. He's being accused of attempted ravishing of somebody else's wife. There's a story in ancient Egypt dating to around the 1600s BC of a tale of two brothers in which the wife of one brother begins to seduce the wife, begins to seduce the other brother. When the brother of that wife finds out, he goes and kills him. He's gone. He's done. About the same time frame. Why does Joseph only end up in jail? That's a clue, I think, 
that Joseph had already garnered some influence in Potiphar's house, even though he didn't have authority, even though he didn't have position. Influence trumps authority. And we see that, of course, even to this day. That people and revolutions and the ways in which this world works and the ways in which this world is transformed, authority almost means nothing when it comes to transformation and revolution. And what that tells us is that every single one of us in our place, in our position, have the opportunity to to influence this world. Just like Joseph had an opportunity to influence the world, all of us have that opportunity to do, too. And we don't have to wait, we don't have to garner, we don't have to vie for positions of authority or, or role. We all have this ability. This is why there's so much real estate given to this Joseph story. Number one, rock, paper, scissors, lizard, spot. Influence trumps authority. Number two, integrity trumps opportunity. Integrity trumps opportunity. Genesis 39, 8 through 9, the famous passage. But he refused when Mrs. Potiphar was advancing. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in in this house than I. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? The amazing thing about Joseph is this is a phenomenal opportunity for him. And yet, he is such a person of integrity. And the scriptures are painting this story to say, this person, Joseph, is so grounded in who he is, in his identity with God, in his role, in his capacity, in what he's put there to do, in the place and the respect that he has for the people around, his integrity... His core central integrity is far more important and far more deeply ingrained in who he is that any opportunity that comes his way is absolutely ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense to him. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Integrity trumps opportunity. And you and I could probably think of many news stories, even to this day, where businessmen and women, companies, other folks in other positions had opportunities in front of them and they took advantage, full advantage of the opportunity. There's a loophole in this law. There's this thing that I can get around that could garner more money or more power and more prestige. That's a great opportunity. Why not take it? And all of us know the pain and the suffering and the frustration when people do not live by integrity, but they simply take advantage of every single opportunity. For Joseph and for the biblical story and for the biblical narrative, all the way through the rest of the stories that we're going to see, integrity trumps opportunity, even when nobody's watching. Integrity trumps opportunity. Last, grit trumps circumstance. Grit trumps circumstance. If you're in a position... Or if you're in this world where God has called you to influence, to lead, to do something wonderful, to have a a relationship where you help somebody along the way, if you're a teacher in a classroom, if you're a boss or a CEO of a company, um, if you're a part of a work group, if you're a parent of a child, if you have any influence, if you have any opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life, I guarantee you a test is going to come. 
Some sort of challenge is going to come your way. Some sort of negativity is going to come your way. Some sort of opposition is going to come your way. As a parent, you're going to hear other parents say to you, oh, you do that? And immediately there's opposition. Immediately there's challenge. Immediately there's criticism. And Joseph is no exception to the rule. His first challenge, of course, the circumstance that he's faced with is with Mrs. Potiphar. And then the entire time through the Joseph story, as you read it carefully, his brothers have accusations against him. Then Mrs. Potiphar has accusations against him. And then the cupbearer forgets about him. Everything is done against this guy named Joseph. And we have this clue, actually, near the end of the story, that if we think about it in human terms, this has got to be really difficult for Joseph. There's a passage at the end where he's facing his brothers and he begins to weep. And the Bible doesn't say why he's weeping when he's addressing his brothers, but I can just imagine that if you were Joseph, we talked about this a couple Sundays ago, if you were Joseph and you had all these things happen in your life, possibly you needed therapy. Because this is a challenge where you have all of that hatred, all of that that opposition. And so Joseph, no longer controlling himself, he weeps. And I think the scriptures are teaching us, showing us that this guy... Joseph has actually gone through quite a bit. This is a challenge, and he has been faced with tremendous opposition. He's had circumstances against him. He's had people forget about him. And yet, and yet, Joseph stays the course in his integrity. He continues on with his faithfulness with God. He pursues righteousness. He continues to influence the world as much and as possible as he can. He is truly, truly, sincerely staying with it, even though it gets hard, even though it gets challenging. I want to share a quote with you from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who sums it up. He says this, This is extraordinary. Joseph is the center of attention Whenever, as it were, he is on stage, and yet he is time and again the done-to rather than the doer, an object of other people's actions rather than the subject of his own. Joseph had in double measure one of the necessary gifts of a leader, the ability to keep going despite opposition, envy, false accusations, and repeated setbacks. And this story of Joseph, I think, is inspiring us, encouraging us to see grit, determination, sticking with it, even in spite of circumstances, because circumstances are going to happen. Grit trumps circumstances. It reminds me of this quote from Winston Churchill. Surely in this period of 10 months, this is the lesson. Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. The Joseph story is a story of a young man who has had everything against him, who has had to face circumstances, who has had to face that opposition, and yet he sticks with it. So three real quick things that I think are important for us that can actually be transformative, that can actually be inspiring, that can move us to a different place and to challenge us to stay with the faithfulness to God, to the influence that we have all been commissioned with to make a difference in this world, which is what we are all here to do. And the first is influence trumps authority. All of us have influence. Don't vie for positions. Wherever you are, lead. Influence 
transform, make a difference by what you say, the decisions you make, by how you listen, by how you hold space. You can make a difference in somebody's life. Number two, integrity trumps opportunity. Even if nobody notices, your integrity is always more important than whatever opportunities may come along. Now, there are some opportunities that fall right in line with your integrity, but there are other opportunities that may challenge or compromise your integrity, and the scriptures, I think, are telling us integrity trumps opportunity. And the third, grit trumps circumstance. Because all of us, including myself, have had that moment where circumstances have happened over and over and over and over again, and you just want to give up. Throw in the towel. I can't do this anymore. Or it's not worth it. Or I feel myself getting weak. All sorts of other examples and excuses. But the Joseph story is challenging us and encouraging us and inspiring us. Stick with it. Hang in there. Circumstances are going to happen. In fact, circumstances are supposed to happen. Opposition is supposed to happen. Challenges and tests are supposed to happen if you're a person of influence. Stick with it. Your life is too valuable. Your influence is too important. This world needs what you have. Don't give up. Never, ever, ever give up. Joseph is known as the dreamer. Just search Joseph, and one of the first things that comes up, he's known as a dreamer. What I would like to suggest to you is that Joseph is actually a leader. He doesn't have authority, but he has influence. He has tremendous opportunity, but he foregoes that opportunity for the sake of his integrity. And he has phenomenal circumstances happen to him, but he's got a grit determination about him that refuses to give up all the way to the end of the chapter where all of you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good for now the saving of many lives. Hang in there, stick with it, transform the world, one word, one decision, one influence at a time. This is, I think, one of the key lessons and key ideas of why there's so much real estate given to the Joseph story. He's set up as a model, He's set up as a pattern. He's set up as an inspiration to us all to live this way, even in the face of opposition, even in the face of corrupt authority, even in the face of circumstances. We can still lead and we can still do amazing things in this world. There's this little hint there in the Joseph story where it, the scriptures just mentioned that he was about 30 years old when all of this took place which reminds me of another about 30-year-old later on down the way. So maybe that 30-year-old, Jesus, just in case somebody wasn't tracking with me, maybe that connection there is setting up once again because all of these things that we talked about, take a look at Jesus. Does he have the authority? No, but he has phenomenal influence. Does he have opportunity? Yeah, the temptations, but he has far too much integrity. Does he have circumstances happen to him? Hello, and yet I have set my face before Jerusalem. I know that this is what, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And so we see this pattern of leadership. So what we see in Joseph, we see again in Jesus. And this is the great idea, that if we can captivate this, if we can hold this, if we can live this way, think of what could happen in our day.
in our world.